We're going to look at Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. You learned a new word, right? You know, it's funny when you read the Bible and we read about guys like Peter, John, James, right? Even Jonah. But then you get these words like Habakkuk. So his name means to really means to embrace God. Embrace God is what his name. So if you'll turn there, you'll take a minute. If you have my Bible, uh, it's on page 1042. If it takes you just a few minutes to get there, understandable. But it's back there in the back, uh, 1042. And boy, what a perfect probably way when we read this. Most people, if they've heard anything of the Bible, they have heard verse or chapter 2 of Habakkuk where it says write the vision make it plain on tablets many people that work for different corporations the corporation will have a vision statement they'll have a vision they'll break it down to a mission they'll have core values but really um, part of that is coming back to chapter 2 but that's not what God was saying to Habakkuk make sure that you have your vision statement your mission state mission statement and your core values laid out for the people of Israel in fact, here's what he's talking about. He's wanting to make sure there's a vision inside of every single one of us that's God-breathed, that it's his vision uh, for us. You know, um, more and more these days, do you become impatient sometimes at drive throughs Does anybody ever get impatient? None of you? Is anybody sitting next to you a little? Okay, all right, we got one honest person in the house. Are you impatient when you order off of Amazon and it lets you know it won't be delivered till nine at night? Nine at night? I mean, come on, one day, nine at night. But I think what we're going to see in Habakkuk is an impatience that he doesn't see God move when he expects God to move, or he doesn't see God speak when he's wanting God to speak. And God is going to do what God likes to do sometimes. When we ask questions, he doesn't respond. Because that's what's not on his heart. And that's what's not on his mind. We're to wait for his instructions. You know, there, there's not a kid now that's playing um, Friday night football that in the huddle decides, you know, I don't like what the coach called. We're going to make up our own play. Now, they can try that, right? And, uh, but usually that, any of you have coaches that that would have worked? Hey, we decided to throw your plays out the window. They stink. We came up with our own plays. That wouldn't last, would it? So Habakkuk is not running forward. He's waiting so that he can take an opportunity to hear from God. And what a difference a prophet makes. We end with Jonah. When God speaks, what does he do? He runs. He's getting out of town. He's going to get as far away as he can. But when Habakkuk sees, he has a burden for what he sees, and then he prays. So let's get into this in Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, and I just want to read a few verses in uh, verse 1. I want you to see Habakkuk's burden, and then I want you to hear God's reply. And it goes like this. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord... How long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry, even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife 
and contention arises. Listen to what he says. Therefore, the law, not talking about the law of God, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. That's a mouthful, isn't it? So here's what we see right in the beginning. Habakkuk has a burden. And he's looking at Judah, the society. And when he's looking at it, he mentions these words. Violence, iniquity, trouble, plundering and violence, strife, contention. And then he says this, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous and perverse judgment proceeds. I think I could have started off reading today whatever headlines are in the news over the weekend and just not saying where they would and then let you know it was probably exactly the very same thing that Habakkuk saw in his day. You know, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. We have even see where when there's laws that are down that because of corrupt people, laws aren't even enforced. And in fact, it's really true. It says, therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. So he's trying to paint God a picture like, hey, God, uh, are, are you even looking? Okay, God, are you looking at earth? <laughs> are you looking like somewhere else? I want you to look at earth. You and, you've heard this from time to time. And I've heard people say, uh, it's very hard for me to believe that there's a God because how could a God look down and see starving children? How could a God, that's usually, how could a God look down and see and not fix it? Well, we know this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When Satan comes in, there's a disruption of the system. The system is broken. And he did do something. He sent his own son to fix the hearts because he knows if he can fix a heart, he can transform a life. That person can get a vision and transform another life. So he's looking at the right thing, but he's translating it to say, God, I need you to look here. This place is a mess. There's violence, contention. Things are powerless. There's it's a civic unrest. Even the, there's perverse judgment. What are you going to say, God? Well, let's read in verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your day which you would not believe, though it were told you. But, okay, God, did you not hear what I said? Is there like something in the clouds that block? I'm wanting you to say, I see a mess and I'm going to fix it. No, what does God say? God says, watch, look among the nations. I want you, you're going to be astounded because I'm going to work a work in your days which you wouldn't even believe it if I told you. Now, you can read on and you can read about what God said that he could do. I could send the Chaldeans, boy, this is a powerful military, they're swift. I could send them in to cleanse things out. But then Habakkuk's going to have a different perspective of all of this. You know, I want to ask you a couple questions today and I want to ask myself this too. Because I wonder in many of the things that I pray to God about, am I praying the wrong questions? Am I praying things uh, 
because of my perspective? Or am I praying things because of God's perspective? Because God says something totally opposite of his prayer. He wants him to watch. He wants him to be in expectation because God's about to do something. And even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. He's probably thinking, I just want you to fix the system. So let me ask you this. What's the Lord saying to you? What's he been saying to you? Have you maybe been asking him the wrong questions? And maybe you need to go back and rephrase the very things that you've been praying. Because I remember this fact I wrote it down. It's his mission. Well, let me say this. It's his vision and it's his mission. I don't get to come up with the plan that I might think it's his plan. So I've got to make sure that I'm asking and praying for the very right questions. Because here's what I know. The Lord says he has the answer. Does Habakkuk have the answer? He doesn't have the answer. He's just going by what he sees. But God's letting him know. God's saying, I have the answer and I could send judgment, but I've got a better picture of what I see. So I love what Habakkuk does in verse 1 of chapter 2. Because basically, in fact, that's your homework assignment tonight, right? Because all of our kids have homework now, so you have a homework assignment. Three chapters in Habakkuk. Right? So look at your name and go, man, that's a lot. Right? No, three chapters. Three chapters. You can tell your neighbor, you can do it, right? I believe it. You can do it. Because you get a, a great picture when you read it all. And I love what he says in verse 1. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on a rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am reproved. I love what he says there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand my watch. I'm going to set myself on a rampart. I'm going to watch and see what he will say for me to do. Isn't that the right question to say? I'm going to be ready. I'm going to listen. And when he tells me what to do, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Well, then God goes on. And he says this, probably the familiar part of our scripture Maybe you've not read it in this book, but you've heard it said before, and it says this. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. And it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Look at verse 4. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Let's say that last part of that verse together. Ready? But the just shall live by his faith. So here's Habakkuk. He's going to set himself to listen to what God says. He uses that word, he says, I'm going to set myself, I'm on a rampart, I'm going to watch, I'm going to see, I'm going to wait until you speak. And what God says then is, you're going to write the vision, you're going to make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. You know, back in Bible days, the messenger would run. If there was an important message that needed to get back to the king, there was a runner. Sometimes there was a couple runners. 
and they would run so that they could get the exact message back to the king. And God says that the vision is yet for an appointed time. That's where patience comes in, right? And it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it. Okay, tell your neighbor the same thing. You've got to wait. Got to wait. Take my car in uh, several weeks ago and they tell me, oh, Michelle's battery had gone out. And I took it in. How long is it, guys, does it take to switch a battery out? Ten minutes? They need it for five hours. <laughs> five hours? Could you just bring, you know, it's covered under warranty. You know, can you just bring me the battery? I'll do it, right? Five hours. You know, would you like to get the car washed? There's no, sure, that's going to take an extra 30 minutes. Okay, forget the car wash. Five hours, right? We don't like to wait. I wanted the guy to come out with the, just give me the battery and some, I'll switch it, get it fixed and on my way. I don't want to wait. Sometimes in that waiting, right? I remember the guy came back and he says, you know, I think you're coming up due for your 30,000 mile. Would you like, no, you know, yeah, you're going to keep in there five hours. And then when I finally got, he has the whole checklist. They took the tires off, they checked the brakes, five hours. I'm going to send Michelle next time, right? <laughs> Five hours. We don't like to wait. But that's where the just live by faith. We're trusting in that time of waiting because God has something to say. You know, I, I, I love this verse when I read in Proverbs because I, I probably think about this often. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no revelation... The people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps what? The law. Where there's no rev rev revelation, the people cast off restraint. Let me read this. I think the New Living Translation says it good as well. When people do not accept divine guidance, not human guidance, right? Divine guidance. When they don't accept it, say it with me. What do they do? They run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. There's a distinguation of those that follow God's law are joyful. Those that will not listen to it, they say are running wild. Isn't it interesting what God's wanting to do? God's wanting to speak, and he's wanting to speak to his people so that they have clearly his words, his visions, so when they run and they read it, they know exactly what to do. And in the meantime, they're being patient. And so God says this to us, when you don't accept my guidance, you're running wild. And let me tell you today, people are running wild, aren't they? They're running wild. And you know what it lets us know? They're running, they're doing. But here's what he says, the people that are joyful inside, why are they joyful? Because of God's law, his words, his commandment. Well, then there's a change when we read in verse 4. It says, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. Well, he says, his soul isn't upright, but the just shall live by faith. You know, that should, the just shall live by faith. Some of you, that's going to ring in your ears like, yeah, I think there's a few other scriptures like that. Yeah, let's read them. Romans chapter 1 verse 17, the Apostle Paul will pick up on this and he says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, 
The just shall live by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith that the just shall live by faith. He writes it again in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. The writer of Hebrews picks that back up and in just that one part of the first verse, now the just shall live by faith. Do you think this being repeated to us is also one of the visions that God wants to have that when we hear this over and over and over again that we need to remember the just live by faith? In fact, if you were to look up the word the just, it's the lawful following God's word, following the law, and the righteous that live by faith in God. Those that are following after God's commandments. The righteous, the ones in right standing. What are they doing? They're living by faith in God. So when God says there's a vision out there, it's for an appointed time, that's where Habakkuk picks that up and he says, yeah, now I, I know how to run. You know, if you read through Habakkuk as you're doing your homework later this afternoon and thinking of me, you'll notice this. Habakkuk is watching, he's waiting, he's worrying, right? But then at the end, he worships the Lord. He actually writes a worship to God. Because in all this as his assignment, he's having that uh, internal struggle about what he's seeing. But you know when he gets in a line? is when he sees things on God's perspective. Because those that follow God, follow the commandments of God, know they're in right standing with God, are the people that live by faith. Do you know Jesus truly is the answer to every human need? Do you believe that? He is the answer to every single human need. Notice verse 9. In fact, let me just read another verse down here. Verse 9. It says this. I want to read another translation. Um, it says, Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. Let me read that verse uh, out of the New Century Version. How terrible it will be for a nation that becomes rich by doing wrong, thinking they will live in a safe place and escape harm. You know, I think about that. Somebody that tries to put something else before the Lord and puts their nest up high, thinking that they're safe, they've escaped, they're unprotected, yet what are they noticing? They're not following after the Lord. You know, when I was reading through, uh, I was reading through the 12 spies that Moses sends out, the Bible lets us know that only two were the ones that spoke up. Actually, it's really Caleb, and I'm sure Joshua had the same thing. Caleb knew that it was an insurmountable battle. The people they had to fight looked like giants. Man, there were enemies there. Yet it was a land full of milk and honey. Ten of them, though, didn't think they can do it. In fact, the 10 of them swayed the entire nation of Israel at that time not to do what God said. 10 of them. You know, I thought about that. I don't think they understood the mission. God wasn't looking for their perspective uh, or, or what they thought about the mission. He just wanted them to go and Moses sent them 
to go look at, look at the land and say whether it's true or it's not. They had their own opinion. How many times do we have our own opinion about what God's doing? <laughs> Keep counting and counting. He's not looking for my opinion on it, nor do I need to give him an opinion on it. I just got to follow the mission, right? If the mission is to go spy out the land, he's going to give me the land, then he's going to figure out how to do it. He knows how to do it. That's why I like when he says, watch and see what I'll do, right? Watch and see, write down, write down that vision. Psalm 115, verse 16 says this, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the children of men. Are you responsible for heaven? Have you submitted what you want on your mansion? You have no idea, do you? God's taking care of that. I'm sure he can do absolutely fine. Jesus said there's rooms in our home. I don't have to think about that. What's our responsibility he's given us? Earth, right? Earth. Our mission field. What we're supposed to do. And it brings us to, to know this. He looks at us as responsible for his work. In fact, he'll hold us responsible for his work. Of the things that he's done. You know, if you owned a business and you took off Saturday. And you left the business to your employees. And what you found out later was that they all closed up shop and went to the beach. What would you think? Oh, I'm so glad about it. I'm glad they got a day off. They probably need it. I've been pushing them a little bit. No, you would want a little explanation ahead of time, right? Hey, we just want to let you know we're going to come in, we're going to open, we're going to lock up, we're going to go to the beach. And you may or may have said that. God's looking at, hey, this is the responsibility I've given to you, and I want all of you to be have a part to play in this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Let me look at another couple of verses here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're his workmanship. But I love what the New Living says, for we are God's what? Masterpiece. Tell your neighbor you're a piece of work, all right. Tell him, right? <laughs> you're a piece. Some of you looked a little excited when you said that to somebody. Anybody ever told you you're a piece of work? <laughs> you're so unique. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned for us. Wait, 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 what? We can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. Deep, deep in your DNA is the very blueprint of your heavenly father, God. Even if you've done Ancestry.com, you've done 23andMe, and you figured out, no, 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 what they did not see in that is deep, deep in your DNA is the blueprint of God. And there's a dream in your heavenly father's heart over your life. But what we do many times is we leave that dream dormant. We haven't had an opportunity to listen or have taken the, the steps to listen to capture his vision over our life. You know, when I read, and I have read, when I've read Habakkuk 2, I always think of a corporate vision. 
But when I've been reading it this time, I think of this. I think it's an individual vision to us. What is the vision of my life? What are the good works that Jesus wants me to do? What is my piece in this puzzle? What is my part? Well, Jesus says these words in Matthew 6, He says, but seek first the kingdom of God, right? What are we to seek first? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So first things first is I seek his kingdom. God, what do you want me to do? Because here's where the, the promise comes in. He'll take care of the rest, the things that concern us. He says, do you see the sparrow? Do you think it worries how it eats? No, he's at McDonald's right now. He's getting free French fries. <laughs> you see the flowers, how beautiful? Who, who do you think does that? But what he's looking for is people to say, I'm going to make sure that I seek first the kingdom of God. There's a vision in my heart for God's people. And when I have a vision in my heart for God's people, then I go out of my way to make sure I fulfill that thing for my heavenly father. Uh, as we prayed in the beginning of service for my district supervisor, several months ago, we were out to dinner with them and the waitress had come by and he'll, he'll start a conversation. And he said these words, he said, Everywhere I go, I've made a decision that anybody that I interact with, when they leave from being in my presence, I expect them to have a better day because the Lord sent me. So if somebody waits your table today at lunch and the soup's cold, right, you can say it with a smile on your face, could you please put this in the microwave? You might get a free meal out of it. But how many of us say things to people that we're, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I wanted to say it so bad. It's in my heart. I wanted to say it. I thought, what a great example that when people leave, uh, I want them to have a better day because I interacted with them. How many times do you repent over things that, that we say? Uh, several years ago, when I was on staff at the church at Almani, uh, they had agreed to have a Korean missions conference they had, um, had all of the facilities. I was asked to pray at the close of it. Uh, there were probably 2,000 of them getting ready to go on missions trips. And I remember specifically, now this is several years ago, so I know remembering this, this isn't something that's like a cute story. It's something that really impacted me. I was talking to this couple in the foyer of the church, uh, and I had asked them you know, where they were going. They were getting ready to go to Syria. Okay, so that was their missions trip. See, we, we think a little bit different, don't we? They're going to Syria. So I asked them what they did for work. Well, she used to design shoes, and then he used to have them made in Italy because they sold them at their store on Man in Manhattan in New York, like high-end uh, you know, shoe store. But he said, when God got a hold of our heart, we knew that uh, we couldn't do that anymore. We had to do this, this missions work. So he now is a student driver, right? Drives kids around. Well, I would never want to do that ever, right? Drives kids around. I forget what she did. Says it gives us the, oh, I think she was teaching. Gives us the summer to be gone on mission trips because here's what we like to do. We go like Jesus when they sent him out two by two. We go with just really a little bit of clothes and enough money for two or three days. And then we just trust that we're going to meet somebody along the way that's going to take care of what we need to do for a couple months. 
oh my goodness. And you want me to pray, I think you guys need to pray for me, right? You want me to pray for, pray for you. That's radical, right? And they said, I remember them saying, you know, they're Koreans, so they said, you, you know, we're going to countries you could never get in. They took really what they had, a few, and they trusted. And they had story, I mean, story upon, I go, story upon story of Christians that they had met and people that they met with in homes and places that they went. Now, what I'm not saying is that every one of you need to quit your job and go today to be a student instructor, because those guys are crazy anyways, right? But what I am saying for all of us is there's a vision in our heart for God's mission, right? To help fulfill. That might be just interacting with a coworker. Or what I heard Friday night, you know, I'm watching my son's first football game. This gentleman sits in front of me. We know his family. Finds out I'm a pastor. I meant to bring them all. He starts giving me all of his tracts because he evangelizes. I'm going to give you tracts, tracts. I'll send a thousand to your church every, and I'm trying to watch my son, right? And I didn't want to be like rude, like, hey, put your Jesus away just for like four quarters. <laughs> I didn't want to you know, say that. You know, I, I hopefully wasn't rude, you know, as I'm, I'm watching. He says, you know, it's Saturday. Uh, you're welcome to come. He said, I have a taco guy coming to my house, and we've invited all of these people. He's an older man. And he says, we're expecting 40 people to get saved in my backyard when we do these taco events. And I thought, man, you're a hero, right? Got tracks hanging out, trying to put them in my pockets, all these different col colors. And um, I thought, you know what he's doing? He's fulfilling God's heart on his mission field. You know, I watch, uh, uh, I haven't watched in a while, Shark Tank. Some of you had Shark Tank and... Maybe you like those stories that go on. I remember I saw one. These guys came out in some type of elephant pajamas, I think it was. And I don't remember all the details, but everything was connected to a social concern to help the elephants. And I thought about that. I didn't look it up. How would you help? Like, how could you socially help an elephant? Like, do you take them? You can't take them. They're, they're wild, right? But it, was a, it became a passion in them that they wanted to start a company that sold pajamas to help elephants. That may sound silly to you, but I wonder what's inside of us that God has because God has something in your heart, a dream to unlock as well. Now, I read this story. In fact, I told you I wanted to read it. 2 Samuel chapter 23. Let me get there. I'll close with this one. 2 Samuel 23. I don't know what page it's on in my Bible, but I'm getting there. 2 Samuel chapter 23. I was reading this. Uh, several months ago when we were going through this. Listen to this story. Remember, David's got his mighty men. These are bad dudes, right? He's got a dude that jumps in a pit and beats up a lion in the snow. Like, these are bad dudes. This is what it says. Verse 15, 2 Samuel 23. David said with a longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is at the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was at the gate, took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, and he poured it out to the Lord. Is that a crazy story? Man, you know, there's this guy in Echo Park, and he does hot pizza out of his pickup truck bed. I'd love to have one of those. Somebody runs out, right? They hear that, they run out, and they bring you the hot pizza, and you throw it on the ground. These are the mighty men, right? These are the bad dudes. You don't want to do that. Have you ever read this story before? No, I just love to have a glass of water 
out of that one well by the gate in Bethlehem, these, these dudes are like, let's go, right? We're going to fight. We're going to go through, risk our lives. The king wants a cup of water, and we brought the water. <laughs> it dumps it out. You know, as I was thinking about that story, it's a crazy story, isn't it? But I think it's a prophetic story. Because the Apostle Paul would use a word like that in his assignment for the Lord that he was soon being ready to be poured out as a drink offering. That he had finished the race. He had kept the faith. In fact, we read things about the Apostle Paul that he understood the strength and the power of Jesus' name and he was being poured out. But Jesus poured himself out. He was given the command from the Father. The Father said, and he gave me the command, I can lay down my life and I can raise it back up. I've received that from the Father. He did it on his own. He poured out his life. In fact, in the day when Jesus came would probably be very similar to the day we read about Habakkuk. Violence, lawlessness, occupation of the Romans. And Jesus didn't come and wasn't born in an opportune time. He didn't come right between David and Solomon, right? Or come in Solomon's reign was there where there was peace. He came at a time when there was absolute silence from God and he was born. Yet he would take his own life to model it after people and pour it out as, with such value because he knew it would be raised up. And he knew that people would have that opportunity to believe. And he knew even those 12 and then went to 11, he knew those 11 could turn the world upside down. Think about that, right? 11 people. The group would go to 120. And from there it would turn the world upside down because they believed in him and wanted to fulfill his vision that this gospel would be preached to the ends of the earth and then the end would come. That's the heart and the vision of God. And it's placed before every one of us that we all have an opportunity. We all come across people. We all have um, people that we can connect with. There's a vision that we've got to capture in our heart. And I think Habakkuk captures it in the Old Testament. But it keeps going on and going on and getting deeper in us. Because as his masterpiece, he wants us to find other masterpieces that he has a vision for. So Lord, we come today, our, our hearts are always stirred when we get into your word and look at your response to people. We know that Peter wrote down that you're showing great restraint in being long-suffering so that everybody has a chance to hear. And Lord, when we read in Habakkuk 2 and we read about writing a vision, Father, I pray that all of us would bow to you and find out what is that specific thing that you've asked of us to do? What's our part to play? When we read about David and what he desired, the heart of God is that his people are impacted, loved, cared for, given the truth, given the, his word. As David said, are healed and whole. And so, Lord, I pray, show us our part in your mission. 
We bless you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, stand with me as we close with the song of worship.